Welcome to BC's Corner, episode eight. Hello, everybody. If you can't tell by the title, this is a very fun and exciting episode of BC's Corner. One of my passions, as you all may know, is live theater. I consider myself a citizen of the theater. Yes, as an actor, but also as an engaged audience member. Theater, to me, is an opportunity not just to be entertained for entertainment's sake, but to be informed, inspired, awakened, aroused, and oftentimes rebuked. I'm happy that on this podcast, I have the privilege and access to highlight projects and upcoming shows that breathe new life into the existing cultural landscape. One of the most iconic films of the past near 20 years is The Devil Wears Prada. Based off the 2003 New York Times bestseller of the same name by Lauren Weisberger, the 2006 film starred Meryl Streep as Miranda Priestley, Anne Hathaway as Andrea Sachs, and Emily Blunt as Emily Charlton. This movie gained wide success for its standout performances, memorable lines, and of course, the fashion. In 2017, it was announced that the film would be developed into a musical, notably with Sir Elton John writing the score. Fast forward to summer 2022, and the world premiere of The Devil Wears Prada the Musical happened in Chicago, Illinois, at the James M. Niederlander Theater for a five-week limited engagement. I had the privilege of not only attending opening night, but also sitting down with cast member Megan Masako Haley, who portrayed Emily Charlton. And if you're not sure who Emily is, she's the first assistant, the one who's in charge of Miranda's appointments, schedule, and expenses. While reviews for the show have been mixed and it is still currently in development, I really wanted to share this past conversation and highlight Megan's incredible voice and experience. To speak more to Megan's stellar career, a few of her TV credits include We Crashed on Apple TV, Broad City on Comedy Central, and Madam Secretary on CBS. And she has also taken to the stage in the national tour of Wicked as Nessa Rose, Mean Girls as Gretchen Wieners, and was also featured in the off-Broadway production of Pacific Overtures. In this brief conversation, we discuss her experience throughout the show's development, and highlights from the production's five-week limited run in Chicago. Without further ado, let's dive into conversation with Megan Masako Haley. I'm super excited to have you on the show. I have to ask you just to start things off. How is your energy today? Because you've been you've been running a marathon. <laughs> Uh, my energy feels great, actually. Now that we don't have to have rehearsal during the day, I feel like wow, I'm so well rested. Yeah, I mean that feels like it should feel like night and day because you get time during the day to catch up on Netflix. You should be watching Sandman if you aren't already, and you really just get more time to breathe. <laughs> yes, exactly. And awesome. we still get to do the show every night. <laughs> it, uh, awesome. And speaking of the show, there are so many things that I want to ask you about the show, particularly because it is so iconic in the show. Yes. Everyone, as you know, from the title, it is the devil wears Prada and it's iconic. The show is iconic. The movie is iconic came out in 2006, but your portrayal of Emily really stood on its own two feet. And I want to back up and just ask you, when did you know acting was for you? I think I actually started out wanting to be a pop star. So I was like singer first as a little kid. 
anytime I could get a captive audience, that's what I was doing. Uh, and the easiest way for a kid to get an audience full of people is children's theater. Yeah. Easily. <laughs> and so that's, captive audience. that's where it's, that's really people will show up. Parents will show up. <laughs> like people pay money to see me on a stage. Yeah. So I was 12 when I started doing theater and that's when I also realized that I love acting. I've always been the family ham, you know, at parties that's and awesome. stuff. And then now I've been able to make it into a career. I'm a very lucky girl. Very fantastic. and very lucky indeed. So when did you first discover the devil wears Prada and what was your affinity towards the original film, the original piece of art that inspired now the show that you're running now? The movie came out when I was in high school. So I absolutely saw it several times. And it's become one of those movies that I don't even think we realize we're constantly quoting. It's just become part of how <laughs> I feel like millennials talk. Yeah. Which is like so embarrassing. But I mean, that's just what it is. I mean, I just feel like I grew up with Anne Hathaway specifically. Like all of her movies were just Iconic. every one of my favorite movies. <laughs> yeah. I was just talking to someone about the Princess Diaries and I actually yes. quoted the Devil Wears Prada today. I told someone I was like, the details of your incompetence do not interest me. <laughs> Truly, right? We're like, I relate. Yeah. I'm always like, please move out of glacial place. You pace, you know how that thrills me. I love the um, why is no one ready? Like, I'm just yeah, I mean, there's so many, there's so many in the musical, like it grows off of those points, those really iconic points, those points for all of us. We remember those lines. We remember that scene. We remember that situation. And we remember that conflict. And I think the musical does a fun job of taking you back to that space. Not like it felt in the movie, but it feels different, but it feels almost right in some ways. It felt very fun. And so what role did you, knowing the show, thinking of it, you know, as a piece of pop culture, quoting it from time to time, what role did that play when you finally got the breakdown of like, oh, they are casting the Devil Wears Prada musical and I need to be a part of it? When I heard about this project, I was immediately like, hello, I'm an Emily. <laughs> really? <laughs> because, because I feel... Like the longer I do the show, anytime I do one of these interviews, I have to just go on my own crusade that Emily was right. I'm just saying if some girl showed up to Broadway, hating Broadway, not knowing anything about Broadway, being bad at Broadway, and was like, why do you guys even like this? I'd be mad. I'd be, be mad. I would be upset as well. And I just feel like if we were actually in the situation, we might all be Emily's. I see that. I never Listen. demonized Emily, though. Did you ever, did some people demonize Emily? I never thought of her as a bad person. I just thought of her as someone who really wanted it, but it wasn't her time and her turn just hadn't met yet. I feel like some people think of her as a bully, which sure, there's bullying. <laughs> you don't have to be bullies. But I understand the impulse. Yeah. I kind of, when watching the show, it's like you. she's finally the one. She was the number two who finally got the opportunity to be number one. And that journey of now being number one and bringing along a number two, I don't think she had a lot of grace when bringing up, you know, Andy as her number two. But you definitely see Emily rise of like, I have this new opportunity because this is what I really want. In contrast to Andy not really wanting it, not really caring, really just needing a check. I mean, and that's what I, I love a story about an ambitious woman. Yeah. You know? And I, and I identify with that. A hundred percent. So knowing that, you know, this is the role that I am going to get, and I've had that feeling for sure sometimes going into the room, I've also experienced, you know, reading a script, 
looking at the breakdowns and saying, oh, they're not looking for me or that can't be me. And you're yet another example of turning that trope on its head and not making that a reality going forward for artists of color. What was the holding room like for you going in for your audition? Was it a completely virtual process or did you have like that nerve wracking experience that it can be for some people to be in the waiting room and be like, oh, they're looking at everybody. What was that like for you? The first time I auditioned for the show was May of 2021. Okay. I sent in a video. I sent in a video. I thought the script was hilarious. I thought the songs were fantastic. I thought I did a great job. <laughs> That's all you can <laughs> Didn't do. hear anything. And I was, you know, I was proud of the work I did. I worked really hard on it. And I didn't hear anything, you know, and that's just kind of how it feels sometimes, especially now that we're starting off virtually with almost every audition. Right. So I didn't hear anything and that's fine. That's what I do. I do a lot of auditions. And then I got a phone call April or March or April of this year saying they're looking for an Emily again. They loved your video from a year ago, which I did not get that feedback the first time. Right. (laughs) So, you know, you can never know how close you were when it's just all virtual. And they were just like, they want you to come in for the final callbacks in person. Wow. So then I, I just went straight there. And like, there are some girls that I recognize in the waiting room who are all fantastically talented and beautiful singers and actresses. And I was just like, you know what? I'm going to bring myself to this. I'm going to bring my silliness, my sense of humor. And I think that that ultimately is what worked the best in the room because then I got to work with our director, Anna Shapiro, who is absolutely incredible. And that actually also made me realize how much I missed being in the room. Yeah, But they get to work with you and you actually get people laughing at you instead of just sending a video into the abyss with no, you know, none of that immediate feedback. And, and what's your approach when sending in auditions? Just to pivot on that really quick, because, you know, you send in the self-tapes and during the pandemic, it was like everything just flipped. There is no more going into whoever's casting office, sitting in, going in for your two minutes, killing it, and then going home and forgetting about it. You then, um, you become the editor, you become the director, you become the producer, um, <laughs> you become the guy who's holding the the weird lamp in front of something to make you just a little bit brighter, your, your own lighting. And then you send in, you put all this work in, and then you send in this tape, and then you don't hear anything back. I have what I call the forget it attitude of like, I go ahead and I submit, and then I just forget about it. Would you say that was the same for you? So getting that call a year later was like a healthy surprise? Absolutely. I mean, I feel like one of my superpowers is I'm actually very good at send it and forget it. Just move on. You know, I actually feel like it's giving me a very healthy relationship with auditioning. I, I actually really enjoy doing the research part, doing the memorization, getting into a character and then getting to do it again with someone, something else the next day. So yeah, I had not really thought a whole lot about the Devil Wars products since that audition. I assumed that they found someone and, you know, there's a lot of scheduling conflicts with people because the process has been very much in, it was supposed to, I think, open in 2020. Yeah. But everything just happened at the right, at the right time and in the right pacing. Like that's wonderful. Yeah. And it just so happened that I I was just leaving my last job that I was on right when this was starting. And so it actually all worked out exactly perfectly so that I could be a part of it. And that's just one of those um, silver linings that you so rarely get. In your last job, like we have to, we have to plug it. Was that Mean Girls or were you touring Wicked at that time, which are two other iconic (laughs) musicals? 
I just finished touring with Mean Girls. Awesome. And that's another iconic like film turned movie. And we're getting, we get a few of those every few years. And it's always interesting to see kind of the take that happens with the music. You were Gretchen Wieners. My favorite song from Mean Girls was Revenge Party. But you mentioned, you know, getting to do the music and really loving the score when it comes to the Devil Wears Prada. How was it working with Elton John scoring? What was that experience like for you? And getting to put, to be the first to put your, your spin on a song. Like that's, not an opportunity that every artist gets. No, and I I've absolutely worked new things, but never at this level with this. I mean, there's very few people who really are on the same level as Elton John. Yeah. Kind of stands alone. I mean, he has a biopic. Someone I think got nominated for an Oscar <laughs> for that biopic. Truly. Like, that's a level. Yeah. And I mean, being able to work with him and with our music supervision team and our music director, being able to create the sound of these songs because you know i got a track with elton singing it which is one way of singing it that's just i'm a different person so it's gonna sound different when i do it and that's been a really rewarding part of the process of being able to give emily's voice depth and texture and color and being able to play with this music because we have the freedom to play with it when you're getting to build something brand new i mean but like honestly never in my life did i ever think i'd even see Elton John in person and he knows who I am, which is a lot for my little brain to handle. What a rewarding experience for you. (laughs) And then as you all have come to Chicago, so this is my understanding of the timeline of the show. So you guys were workshopping it and developing it in New York City, correct? Uh, Yes, we did like about a month of rehearsal in New York. Awesome. And then you come to Chicago for, they say a limited engagement, but we all love the shows that come through Chicago because we all want them to go to Broadway and you all will. And you come here for five weeks and now you're finally in the last week of that pre-engagement, that limited run. What, I guess, has been your biggest takeaway from this run? What have you discovered about the show, about you in this role, in this show, about the music? Because there's another you know, cast member and that cast member is your audience. What has that been like for you? The first performance with an audience I think we were all surprised about having to hold for laughter. Mm, A lot of (laughs) laughter. Which just (laughs) reminds, yeah, which is something that, you know, in the, in the rehearsal room, like we laugh at each other, but it's so different when you are reminded that the audience is your other scene partner. Yeah. That things will change day to day because different things happen in our world every day. And anytime you get to come to the theater, it is a singular experience and you're constantly listening and engaging with that audience every day. And that's just a beautiful reminder for myself as a theater artist that like that, I think is the most beautiful part about the theater is that it is this group of people today, right now. That's sacred because during COVID, like we saw a lot of theaters, you know, just to make money, people are trying to make money. People are trying to stay up and trying to keep people's jobs. And they took a lot of plays and they're like, well, we can record the play and that'll work. And it's not the same thing. Because what makes the theater so beautiful is that in every show, if it's a two-man show, if it's a one-man show, there is always another cast member. And that cast member is your audience. And the thing about them is they don't come to rehearsal and they're completely fucking (laughs) them. They're completely unpredictable. And you don't know if they're going to like it, love it, if they're going to be really quiet and hold some weird tension, or if they're going to fully embrace the world that you're presenting to them. And I think that's the beauty, you know, of theater, as you said, but also the beauty of doing a show like this, where everyone's coming into it brand spanking new. 
you know, you run shows like Mean Girls or Wicked Wicked specifically because it's been out since 2003. So many people have heard the cast recording. So many people have an idea of what the show is supposed to be. But you have the opportunity to bring something original to people and to be what they think of when they think of the show. How, how does that make you feel knowing that? I feel honored to do that because I was a little theater nerd kid and I memorized so many cast albums, you know, <laughs> every single choice, every act, every beat of songs I, I can do. Do you have a favorite? Especially Wicked specifically. <laughs> Is it Wicked? Was Wicked I, the favorite? Wicked was a favorite. Also, I took a turn doing a Miss Saigon in my bedroom by myself. A lot of crying, yeah. a lot of snot crying. <laughs> Love. Yeah, a lot of late days was happening. A lot of rent was happening. But it is a little bit mind-blowing to think that at some point we're going to have a cast album mm-hmm. and we're going to get to like put these characters that we love so much and that we worked so hard on out there in a way that's really lasting. And then hopefully, you know, the show will have a nice long life and like the, the, the things that we are building here today will be part of that legacy, which is, I can't even believe that. And you're a part of that life and you're a part of that legacy. And that that is a part of your legacy as well as an artist. And I'm so excited for you and I'm so happy for you. I'm getting excited just like thinking about that that possibility and like the next chapter of your journey as well. Because to be immortalized in a cast recording to me is like everything. Because, you know, Bernadette Peters one day, you know, God forbid, she will not, no longer be here with us. But having her on the cast recording of Merrily We Roll Along, like is everything to me. Uh, and it's something I can never, you know, I can never get rid of. It'll always be something that I cherish in my heart. As you've had family, I think, have you had family come see the show? Yes, friends and family. My parents came. A couple of my best friends came. My aunties are coming this Saturday. Hey, catching it right before it goes and then it'll come back again. But what has been some of the biggest points of, I guess, not feedback, but intake? What have you gotten from people as they've seen the show, as they have experienced the show, I would say? My parents were just like, I don't think there was a better role ever written for Mm. you. (laughs) That's a moment. Because, yeah, and it's funny because even in the rehearsal space, I mean, I just feel so lucky that I got to be in this group with these people, with this artistic team, because our director, Anna Shapiro, has really let me be myself. And like, yes, I am Emily. I am going to be exactly, you know, who the archetype of who Emily is, you will absolutely recognize. But it's been really fun because. I feel so close to this character. Like I understand her. I love fashion the way she loves fashion. I, and you know, she, it gets funny. It gets silly. And in a way that like my mom was like rolling her eyes at me being like, seriously, (laughs) (laughs) no one has reeled you in. I'm like, no, they said I could go more. That's, that's Anna D. Shapiro. That's that step in before (laughs) you. Yeah. She's incredible. I'm so lucky to work with her. That's phenomenal. And then in your mind, what is the biggest misconception people will have or that you've heard they've had about this show going into it? That it will be different. There's no sense in remaking something that's already awesome exactly as it was. Mm. You know, it is not an exact literal copy of the movie, except now. I also think it's really important and striking and different that like, that our Andy is a black woman yeah, and how she moves through the world is different than how a white woman did in 2006. Yeah. The author of the devil wears Prada, she was present on the night that I was there opening night. 
And she had said something very impactful. She was like, no, I think it was your producer who said this regarding her and said that she encouraged us to make an Andy for the 21st century, for 2022. And that stuck with me as I left because you'll look at it and you'll be like, none of this was around in 2006. But you really get to experience the retelling of a story. And I think some people have like... um. I'll say a little shock because, you know, a lot of the Disney movies, you know, Aladdin, Lion King, a lot of remakes have happened in the last decade. And sometimes what we look for in a remake is for you just to upgrade, you know, the technology. And I think with musicals, people sometimes have this same tendency to go, oh, just put music like, but with my favorite scene, the way I remember it back in 2006. And the beauty of what has happened here is that you've taken the spirit and the essence of the show but you've applied it to new artists and to a new community of artists. And I think that really reads through. Yes, thank you. I mean, that's what we hope for. That is our goal. And I also just have to shout out Taylor Mon Jones. Our Andy is absolutely fantastic. Uh, and I just, I can't imagine anyone else being Andy in 2022 in this musical. That's awesome. Thank you so much for coming on and talking with thank me you. about the Devil Wears Prada. I enjoyed it. I hope that others go and that you enjoy it as well. You know, that cast recording going to be out soon. So if you can't go to, if you can't come to Chicago and you don't catch it when it's in New York, like you can get that cast recording and you will be listening to Megan as Emily on that cast recording. I told you that was going to be a fun conversation. Thank you, Megan, for coming on the podcast. If you want to follow her career more closely, her website and Instagram are linked in the show notes. Thank you to my partners behind the scenes and all of you who listen in. It's truly an honor to have your ear. And then to find out more about the further development of the Devil Wears part of the musical, I have included a link to broadwayworld.com in the show notes. And with that, I will see you soon. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa.